Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Chivas del Norte podcast. My name is Varro, and with me tonight, we have two special guests, but let me introduce uh, my CDN guys first. Luis, Rigo, wow. what's going on, guys? What's up, guys? I, th- I thought we time. were the special guests. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. I was like, wow. I mean, Rigo's like, returning after wow. like a couple I mean, of months. I, mean, so. I, I, I am a guest at this point because I haven't been on in so long, but yes. <laughs> hey, what's so. going on, guys? <laughs> Just getting snowed in, you know? How, is it bad around you, Rigo? Uh, there's probably like a foot outside. Oh, damn, really? Yeah. Uh, I only know because I was I've I've already gone outside to shovel once, and <laughs> then uh, take some pictures of the uh, of the snow outside. You're gonna have to shovel again when the snowplow comes back around and throws all the snow back on your car. Yeah, I was just trying to like minimize the amount of snow later on, <laughs> but literally it was snowing like so much and so fast that like by the time I was done the drive with the driveway, there was already like another coat on top of it. <laughs> So I was like, fuck this, I'm going inside. All right, well, those are... But it's really those cold are, out. It's really those cold are East out. Coast East Coast problems, and most of our listeners are on the West Coast. On the so West Coast. Yeah, they like cannot, degrees out cannot relate. <laughs> but uh, let's get let's get to our guests, guys. We got we got Carlos Eustace making his return to the Chiva del Norte podcast. We had him on earlier in the season. Carlos, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, guys? Speaking of West Coasters. <laughs> uh Regards from the Bay Area, um, excited to excited to be back and, and recount what was I mean our our first season as uh, as a Chivas analyst in English. I mean there was a lot there was a lot of ups and downs, more ups and downs I guess. But uh, but we're really excited to be back. It was a wild ride. For Definitely. Sure. <laughs> well, glad to have you back, Carlos, and uh, making his Chivas del Norte podcast debut. We got Jorge Calvo. Jorge Calvo. Is um does advertising. He's a the zone boxing analyst. He was an on field talent for uh, BN Sports Univision, and now does play by play for uh, Chivas in English for Telemundo and NBC Sports Network. Carlos, uh, I mean Jorge, <laughs> Jorge, what's up, man? <laughs> what's up, guys? Glad to be here. Glad to finally uh, join you. I was a fan before. Uh, Carlitos and I used to even discuss some of the topics that you guys had on the pod. And uh, you know, happy to join uh, this program, and uh, it's 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 a good opportunity to review what happened with Chivas for the whole season. Now we're happy to have you guys on. It makes us feel official. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you if you change our names, it's okay. We're one and the same. We're a team. We like each other. We like each other enough to not get offended. No, you, you guys are, you guys are the voice of Chivas, man. The voice of Chivas in English. We're gonna stick yeah. with that. <laughs> Uh, Jorge, since it's your uh, debut on the pod, we're going to hit you with the three questions that we hit guests with. Uh, we'll start off with, right. what is uh, your favorite Mexican soccer club? It is a Chivas podcast, but you don't have to say Chivas. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, I've been a Pumas fan my whole entire life. My oh, family. wow. Wow, okay. Uh, wow. Fans, just you like are like, Houston. you are really sad right now. So you're fatter than us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, really? Like, easy? He's double. He's double as fat. I don't know. I, I mean, think, like, like a, a team that lost, loses his coach, like, the first week, I think it's the worst place to be, though. You lose your coach, like, two days before. Nobody expects anything from you. You make it to the That's final. True. You can't really be mad. <laughs> you want to be mad, but you can't be mad. But but that 4-0 no, really comeback <laughs> is kind of wasted now, like, just, just look at Chivas. We had a really good, good, good comeback for for the end of the season, don't you think? 
<laughs> yeah, it was good. Started with a dagger. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you? So I know you've heard the rumors that the the Cruz Azul players were on the take <laughs> for the Pumas game. Do you feel like the Pumas players were on the take for the final? <laughs> no, no I, I think that's a little bit of nonsense but um it, it was entertaining for a second to think that i mean what other excuse can you actually find if it's not something bogus like that for, you know like for you to be winning for such you know an advantage and then lose it all on, on the on the way back at home it's crazy can i tell you that i turned the game off at like the 80th minute because i'm like oh cruz azul won like there's no like Pumas did not score another goal. Like they already scored three, but that's a lot. And I turned it off, and then, like, I was doing something in the house, and I go back to my phone, and, like, everyone is going nuts on Twitter <laughs> because of because the, they scored the fourth goal. And I'm like, what the hell? And by the I'm... time I put it on the TV again, like, it was already, the game was already over. They were just, they were just the commentating, but I couldn't believe it. I, I can tell you the amount of dinners and... Bets I won just with that game. <laughs> no <laughs> way. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I well, after after the four zero, everybody was like, "Oh, that's it, Cruz Azul's in the final." I'm like, eh, "Is it really?" I mean, it's Cruz Azul. Man, they're not gonna lose a four zero. I'm like, I don't know, man. It's Cruz Azul. Want to bet? Sure. So a lot of <laughs> wow. people owe me dinners, man. <laughs> wow. Oh man. Well, Jorge, I'm sorry I told my I, I told my friend that was impossible. I'm like, I'm not watching that. It's impossible. <laughs> And then, sure enough, I tuned in the last 15 minutes because I saw on Twitter everyone going like, oh, my God, they're going to pull it off. They're going to pull it off. And I had to tune in and watch it. Bro, Cruz Azul is a case study by now. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. It, there has to be an explanation for this. And it, it will be discovered one day. <laughs> but uh, I guess we'll ask now the next question, Jorge. What is, who's been your uh, soccer, favorite soccer player growing up? Oh, man, I, I grew up with Jorge Campos. Like, that was mm. the superstar for me. That was, like, the guy that could do it all, and, and he did for a while. Uh, that 1991 championship they got with, with Tuca and all that, uh, him playing both defense, I mean, goalkeeper and forward, um, playing in the national team, being such a star, making that Nike commercial. I, I'm sure you all remember that when, when he was with a bunch of stars there. Like, to me, Jorge Campos was the you know, poster kid for, for Mexican soccer back in the day. And I mean, pretty much throughout his career. So um, I really like him as an athlete and as a person. There's a, there's a theme going on Twitter lately with Jorge Campos. Well, Jorge Campos or Memo Ochoa? Hmm. To me, better. Yes. No, to, me it's, to me, it's Campos, one, 100%. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ochoa is a hell of a player. And, and he saved our ass so much during the World Cups, which is when, when it counts. But... You know, in terms of spectacular talent, I think Campos had it all. And back in the day, like, the, the soccer wasn't as globalized as it is right now. Right? So um, the fact that he made it through as a Mexican player was major. You know, like, for us, it was always watching the Brazilians and the Germans and the Italians. And, and, and I think Campos was the first one to actually make it within those famous players. I actually met Campos and uh, Claudio Suarez at a uh, Bud Light world cup party here in new york a couple years ago they're pretty cool <laughs> i didn't say i was drinking i just got invited <laughs> bud light you know how much bud light you got to drink to get drunk actually now that you mention it it's a lot you need a, a lot of bud light <laughs> and yeah then... I'm, I'm a campos guy too over a and it's not because of the whole chivas 
uh, America thing. I just think, I just think what Campos has done has been more impactful for the national team. And you know, Ochoa just has had bad run of luck where he plays where Mexico has really bad losses. I don't know. It's interesting because when when I think about them that way, I think Ochoa has had a bigger impact in international games, both on the good side and the bad side, than Campos did. Um, because technically, if you really think about it, there there's no like one memorable Jorge Campos game in the World Cup. But what Campos meant culturally for for the sport and outside, like that opening the door for being the first Nike sponsor athlete in, in Mexico. His jerseys were for sure the talk of a lot of people who who maybe just watched the World Cup for the first time and they're like, oh my god, that's super cool. Like, who's that guy? I think that yeah. was that was the biggest like impact that Campos had had on that and the fact that one the people who actually watch it, he was able to you know he did those crazy things because he was he was not a big guy he's a, he's a short guy and he he had all those reflexes and he could fly from one side to the other and but I think in that sense Memo had a bigger impact. There's there's memorable games from Memo in the World Cup. He has. He has a Germany game. He has a Brazil game. There's there's a bunch of games where, where Memo made a difference, and I think that's where where you kind of like have to even them out, and it, and it's just a different take of of what they brought to the table in terms of growing the sport. So do you think that is because of the deficiencies of Mexico's teams because they were weaker? Not that Mexico is never the weaker team because for the most part when they play powerhouses they're they're the weaker team. Um, but against the Brazil, the Germanys, the I reason mean, Memo shine, the reason Memo shined more was because the other teams were so much more dominant than the Mexican team. Whereas in Mexico versus Italy in '94, mm-hmm. like the like like they played like it was it was a, it was an even match. Same thing with Netherlands in '98. Um, and even those those Bulgaria when they go to penalty kicks and uh, Germany when they lose two one in, in the round of sixteen, he's not as remembered because the games were more, uh, I would say, even than they were in the Brazil Mexico game in twenty fourteen where. It just felt like Brazil was on top of Mexico the whole game. And the only reason they don't score is because of Ochoa. Well, y- yes and no. It, it, it's true, but it's also it, it, it has to do with the moment, right? Think about it. Like, you're playing Brazil in Brazil. It was in all the, all the other games that, that, that we mentioned. One was in the U.S., the ones in France against the Netherlands. And the Netherlands scored two goals. Technically, that, that the hero that day is Luis Hernandez. Like you, the way you remember from that day is, is Luis Hernandez scoring that goal in the 90th, 99th minute. And and the, I think against Germany, he actually had a really good save, but then we end up losing the game. So I think, for example, Memo had, had the same Brazil game, but then one of the shots from Thiago Silva Neymar goes in, then we wouldn't remember it. So yeah. yes, but again, I always say that the goalkeeper is just part of the eleven. So if the goalkeeper is your star, then your goalkeeper is your star, and 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 that's how it is. They might be more dominant, but that make him a star that day. Yeah, I I would even it out with the fact that neither had that one moment where they could have bring Mexico into the next round, right? The the fifth mm-hmm. famous game that we have not been able to reach. In that sense, Ochoa still has an opportunity. That's that's amazing. But it would, I, I, one of the reasons why I like Campos as well is just how humble he is. You know, like being from Acapulco, always wearing the 
chancletas, sandalias, you know, the flip-flops everywhere he goes. Like, it's the final of the World Cup, and the guy shows up in the same attire. So that part of his personality is, I guess, what, what makes, you know, draws me really close to um, the star that I grew up with. That's fair. I haven't gone on Bud Light Zone, so I haven't met him. <laughs> he seems like a very nice person. And he does great color commentary when he joins Luis Garcia and... Uh, yeah, when he's paying attention, yeah. When, when he's not laughing. <laughs> he, did, he actually did have the uh, chancletas at the uh, Bud Light party, too. I was about to say hey, that. Hey, listen, you don't, you don't watch me, but most likely I'm, I'm wearing chancletas when, when I'm calling the game. Just remember, I'm calling the games from my house. <laughs> Jorge doesn't have that luxury, but I do. I, I actually want to, once we get into the, uh, once we get into discussing the season, I, I, I I definitely want to discuss, you know, the the dynamic of having to narrate games from your house. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think Varo has a third question, right, Varo? Yes, the last question of the three. Jorge, um, your favorite career moment or experience so far? Um, so I was part of uh, the Panama first ever uh, World Cup ticket. They, they won... For the first time ever, their, their chance to, to be in the World Cup, that was the, towards Brazil. And, I mean, sorry, Russia. Um, that was, what, 2017? And it was a crazy game in Panama City. I mean, the energy was just incredible. Like, they partied all night long. It was just the whole stadium seemed like it was going to fall down. Imagine such a small country going for the first time into the World Cup. It was just insane. Um so that that I think that that would be the one that I can think of, you know, as the most memorable, just because of the energy. What about what about boxing? Do you have any memorable boxing moments? Oh yeah, I, I, I was debating it. I just chose the other one because this is more like a soccer related. <laughs> no, but I want to know too. That's for my old selfishness. <laughs> um, it was actually last year when uh, Andy Ruiz knocked out Anthony Joshua at Madison Square Garden. It was like it was about. That was last year. That was last year. I know. Last, so long ago. <laughs> last, last, what, June? July, June? Yeah, well, 2019, December. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, know, no, we, know we know 2020 has lasted like 11 years. But... <laughs> <laughs> just the faces of all the British fans that were there just knowing <laughs> that he was going to show up and destroy this fatty guy. And, 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 and he was doing it. And he knocked him down. And yeah. All of a sudden, he comes. I mean, everybody has seen the story, right? And, and, and seen the video. He comes back, hits him really hard with a, a hit on the temple. The guy's never able to recover Joshua. And then the rest is history. He became the first Mexican heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, yeah, and, that he's and he's Chivista. And he's Chivista. Bring it full circle. <laughs> remember, when they, remember when they had him on the, in the stadium and his... Extra small Puma jersey. <laughs> Wait, are there Puma jerseys that are not extra small? Those are, those are news to me. Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So now, you know, Rigo kind of brought it up already, but um, I'm sure having to commentate the game from home was difficult or put up like some kind of problems. So we just wanted to know, like, for both of you, Carlos and Jorge, like, um, what was the most difficult part, I think, of doing Chivas English play-by-play -play this season? I'll let Carlitos go first. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I, I mean, uh, I think it's not the most difficult part. I think it was the entertain to me the entertaining part part of it, and and one thing that made me realize that I'm a lot like again like I don't want to toot my own horn, but that I was much better than I thought I was was the fact that literally they dumped two piece like two boxes of equipment on my house like the mail did and it was like okay you connect everything yourself <laughs> and and i had to do it basically engineering 101 and have my own setup and in the middle of everything and i think i talked to you about it the last time i was here in the middle of everything after the second game i had to move because the owner of the townhouse that i was renting decided that he wanted to sell it and he kicked me out yeah. So I had a week to come to the new place and set up because I had the game that, that weekend. And that weekend, there was an outage because we had fires in California. There was an outage the night before, and I had no electricity, no internet, no nothing. So I was kind of like freaking out, like, how am I going to do this? Because I need all of these things. So I went to get I went to get a generator, uh, make oh, sure wow. I, was, I had enough gas. I had like three tanks of gas just in case it needed to happen. <laughs> Luckily for me... Everything came back the next day, and and I was able to do the game with, with, with no problems. But the fact that I had to like you know do my own uh, plug and play and 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 have and basically don't really rely on anybody to do it, it, it was kind of like outstanding for me. The fact that one that I was able to pull it off, and second that it was possible. <laughs> like I feel like one of the things of COVID nineteen that that has showed us a lot of things is that you kind of think change the way you think about things, and one of those was that it was like. How can I call, like, I'm literally calling a game from my house on national television. Like, how is that happening? Mm. And Did you and... get your money back on the generator? <laughs> oh, no, I, I kept the generator because I'm going to need it. I mean, I live in California, in Northern California. You know, you know, wait, sure, when I'm you mentioned the generator, I was like, we never even heard it. I'm like, that's that's a pretty silent generator. That has to be expensive. <laughs> no, I figured I needed it. So, I mean, unless, like, in the future I need to move, then I had to figure out what I'm going to do with it. But for now, I definitely would need it. Yeah, I mean, I had it really easy. You know, I I would go to the Telemundo Center, get on the studio, get connected. The producer was right next door to me. Like, um, I know Carlos from from before. Uh, we actually were friends before doing this. So we played soccer together and all that. So the chemistry, I knew it was there. As you can see, the delay is barely minimum. Like the guys have done a really good job on on producing offsite. And um, to me, really, you know, the 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 most difficult part was actually breaking the barrier, you know, allowing us to have an accent on national television, like making it okay to call Liga MX with a little bit of an accent, knowing that we are Mexican. Granted, we know the subject, but, you know, we are finally able to empathize with a bunch of people that are out there that feel the same way that we feel about these teams, about the drama that Liga MX is. is. And I'm sure it wasn't a, an easy call, you know, like it, it was probably a discussion that they had to have and be like, okay, are we finally going to allow this, you know, bicultural generation to to be uh, on air, or are we trying to find the perfect, you know, British accent to call very important games for Mexico? Um, and and they could have learned the, the the teams and whatnot, but it's never the same. So I guess that for us that part was easy in terms of that, like bringing it to life. But the the, the hard decisions were made before us, and I think that's a really cool cool breakthrough that we're seeing on on uh, Telemundo NBC. That was um, a, a great opportunity for us, obviously. But we've been connecting with you guys. We've been connecting with like many other many other uh, bicultural journalists that uh, welcome us, and that everybody's like excited about bringing Chivas in the language that we feel more comfortable. I mean, I I thought the biggest thing 
was for most of the season, you guys, you guys were on SAP, mm-hmm. and then the games were being shown um, on NBC Sports after they aired. So it was kind of like a replay, right? It was kind, it was kind of like a second, mm-hmm. a second. Like if you if you wanted to watch the replay, you could watch the replay. But I thought it, once Chivas made the Liguilla, I thought it was huge that they were finally airing the games on Telemundo and NBC Sports at the same time. Because for a lot of us, like I, I tried all season to get the SAP button to work. It just would not work. Yeah. And uh, finally, when when uh, the Liguilla started, the games were on uh, NBC Sports. And it, it I, I thought it was a huge step towards that becoming the, you know, the the regular because that you know they're going to see the attraction that Chivas is at their home games and you know it'll it'll push to have the team be on NBC Sports whenever they play at home live versus the replay and i i mean i think it was a it was a a very important call i mean it was it was it was great in the sense of of give visibility not so much to the league because I don't think the league needs the visibility. It's it's weird to think about it because you see the numbers, you see the ratings, and and you realize, uh, you know, Mexican soccer is actually the most watched league in the U.S. Period, regardless of regardless of language. Like not the Premier League, not La Liga, like not the, not even the Champions League. Like La Liga MX is, is what what drives it. Most of it in Spanish actually, and to be able to tap into that and be able to think that you know that you can. Be bicultural in in this sense and, and put it put it in English. I think it was a it was a great call from 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 the company, and and we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, we found out today that we are gonna be doing the games in English. Those are gonna stay. Um, we don't know how many of them we're gonna be on on NBC. That's still not part of of, of the conversation. Uh, I know for sure that one of the ways to get the SAP to make it more organized is through the app of Telemundo Deportes. So if anybody's always uh, looking for, for the for the game in English, they can look for it on, on the app. Uh, that, that'll be the easiest way. It will actually have the option to listen to it in English. And and yeah, I mean, <clears throat> again, the, the reception we got from, from, from you guys, from, from everybody else that lives within the Liga Emekis in English uh, biosphere, I think yeah. it, was, it was fantastic. Mm. Now, would you guys have been live at the games had COVID not been happening? <laughs> no, I think that if, oh, to be honest, if if it was like in old days, I think the only difference is that I would have I will fly to where Jorge is every two weeks and call the game with him on the desk uh, from from the station. I think that would be in okay. The, and and then obviously on the Telemundo side, Andres and them, yes, they will have a, a bigger role and they will, they will travel to Mexico and probably the games from the Akron. Yeah, but I, I think that as we grow, it's it's a strong possibility. I mean, I, I just, you know, want want to think so. If there these people are back again, you know, being top contenders, making it to Liguilla, making it to the final. I mean, it's it's a no brainer almost. But I guess we will see. Good news is, as Carlito said, we just got word today that uh, we'll be doing next season, which is super exciting. Now that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. I was going to say, it's awesome because you guys have, like, really, like, took in the Liga MX English community. And you guys do the shout-outs on, on when you guys are on t- on the, the broadcast. So, I think it's pretty awesome. You guys uh, you guys have done a great job this season. We're, we're a thing. Like, all together, we are a thing. You know? like, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we support each other. 
Yeah, and and I said on the broadcast. I mean, the, the space that that you guys created uh, helped out a lot. Because if it wasn't, you know, we we obviously have the means as a, as, as Telemundo as a company, right, to to be able to carry the games. Yeah. It's, it's always a biggest struggle, but the the environment and the place for it to exist. Uh, you guys have been working on it for for years, and we're kind of like coming into it. Um, I can I. I in my case, I would say like I was not part of the of, of that realm just because I was kind of like finding my place also as an as a as an anchor, as an analyst, as an on on air uh, personality, and and I think that it to me is really exciting because it's one of the things I always thought about. Like as as soon as I moved to the U.S., because uh, like I always say, I'm, I wasn't born and raised in the U.S. It's, it's, it, my my understanding of the culture and how it mixes comes basically from being a being married to an American. From coming from Mexico, growing up in Mexican soccer, and actually being part of Mexican soccer, playing in Cruz Azul, and, and and knowing a lot of these people that were actually part of my upbringing, and and to be able to mix it together, uh, I I hope I'm making a, a not not making a disservice to you guys. I hope that is exactly what you were looking for. Somebody who has the you know the knowledge that we we have the knowledge that we have uh, the background to to support it. And then of course we make a lot of mistakes on our. We make a lot of grammatical errors on air when you're like thinking on the fly, but uh, I mean, it's it's a work in progress for us too. Do you feel like that is because you're on the air? Because I feel like when we're just talking, like it just flows, like your conversation just flows, right? So do you feel like uh, you feel like that you let those errors happen when you're like just because you're on the on the air and you don't want to make a mistake? Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like whenever I've spoken to you and like we did the IG live uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was like mm-hmm. just a natural conversation. There was no, like, I, I, I didn't sense that at all. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's, it is very natural. It's very organic. The way we're doing it right now, it's the way we, Carlitos and I would do it on the air. Um, we also had the backing from the company where they said, listen, if you want to throw some Spanglish into the mix, please do so. And if you want to throw some cultural references, do so. And if you want to here and there give us some cultural nods, that is exactly what people are looking for. Because it's not something, it's not about the accent, right? It's more about the culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, we bring it to the table. And so far, we <laughs> we haven't got any red flags. I mean, we haven't gotten the call from from the scary phone just yet <laughs> on the red phone we haven't had a red phone call yet. <laughs> no and, and I, I feel like that's what the liga and max english community is you are you know it's mexicans uh mexican americans who predominantly speak english most of the time uh all speak spanish at home with their parents and amongst their friends will mix it up yeah. i mean we mix it up on this podcast all the time um so when you guys mix it up uh, while you're narrating the game, it's it's natural. Like it's it's just a natural thing for me to hear and listen to, right? And and it's a and it's interesting because when you think about it, obviously, uh, I feel like that you will you will represent our core audience. But it's also, I I mean, I got a couple of comments from people who strictly speak English and they like the league. They follow it because they like soccer. Or, but they're not necessarily very acquainted with the teams, or and that's why, like sometimes when you explain something, it's weird because we had a couple of comments where people are like, "You don't need to explain that to me." It's like, yes, but remember, like I don't know who I'm talking, like I know who I'm talking to, but I'm I don't know who I'm talking to. So in, in order to make it the most the more inclusive that I can, 
sometimes I feel like maybe I should explain this because if there's somebody who's not that acquainted with Mexican soccer and what these things mean, yeah. maybe I have to, you know, maybe I have to explain it. And it might be an overkill sometimes, but, it, you know, again, you don't know who you're talking to. And I feel like being on the English sphere, like you, you, you can't tap into those things. No, I agree. It's like when we have guests on, we explain to them that, you know, this is a podcast where we just kind of go with the flow and conversation and we don't stick to uh, a tight agenda and hit bullet points. That's um, that's because we don't look it over. But no, but we, you know, we explain that to everybody that, that comes on uh, because you just you never know when you're going to have that new listener who's going to be like, what the hell is going on with this podcast? Why are they just all over the place? Um, but, you know, so it's understandable for you guys to, you know, uh, explain things that might be common to somebody that's watched the league their whole life, but you're, you know, the, the point of this is to grow the community and get the person that might be into soccer but might not have watched uh, Liga MX game because of the fact that they didn't understand uh, the narration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The normalization of the biculturalism is what what we're trying to get and. As Carlito said, sometimes we're flying blind. You know, we don't really know, especially when we are live on NB, NB, NBCSN. We um, really do wonder, okay, how many of these are fully Americans that follow Premier League and, and, and other international leagues, but not so much League IMX. Uh, and how many of them are like us, you know, Mexican-Americans that know the teams, that know the references. So it, it's been a good learning experience and i think we're finding the, the sweet spot yeah I, I have a i have a friend that's um he's scottish and he only knows of chivas because he's my friend and like we talk about <laughs> soccer all the time and then once the games were on nbcsn i was like hey kev you can watch you can actually watch it in english because he also couldn't get the sap to work because i told him you know you can watch it on telemundo and put on sap and it'll be in english but it never worked but once it was on NBSN, even like as soon as the game ended, he would text me like, like he knows I'm an Arsenal fan and he makes fun of Arsenal all the time. And he's like, hey, it looks like <laughs> looks like Chivas is uh, taking Arsenal's win. I was like, I, I don't care. I was like, Chivas can win every game and Arsenal can lose every game. I don't care. <laughs> but you you guys are picking up like fans that aren't technically or uh, Liga MX fans. You know, they watch Premier League. They watch Scottish Premier League, uh, La Liga. And, you know, you're introducing the league to a lot of non-mexican I, I think fans yeah we hope so we we, we hope that's what we do <laughs> <laughs> all right do you guys want to get get into the season that chivas had um we can talk about the ending real quick they got eliminated in the semifinals by leon they tied 1-1 at home you guys covered that game and then they went on to lose 1-0 away at a uh, leon stadium i think overall we can all agree that leon deserved to win the final the championship they deserve to beat chivas I think in that second game, they completely just dominated Chivas. Chivas never really looked like a threat. But um, in that first game, going into the second game, I thought Chivas had a chance because they both had uh, goal-scoring opportunities. They had Chivas had that Ponce shot that was cleared off the line. Mm-hmm. And then Gudinho had those uh, that big save against Mena one-on-one at like the 90th minute. 
But I don't know what you guys, what you guys think about the uh, Chivas and Leon series. Gee, Carlitos, do you want to go? Should I go? I'll let you go. I'll let you go first. I've, 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 I've really, really short because I've, I've, I've condensed my analysis into one single play, which is the 68th minute when Antuna and Calderon have this strike back. Oh, I don't know if you guys remember it. It's, yes. it's, it's the score. It's already one-one, but they could have just scored the second one. And uh, Fernando Navarro steals the ball on that one, and it could have been the complete difference going to Leon with one goal in your favor, um, being able to defend it. Busetich, we know he's a master of, of, of uh, La Liguilla and playoffs. So I think that everything that they did right in the first game, they kind of forgot in the second. You know, like when they went back, I don't think there was they were um, you know as aggressive, and um, Leon really swapped the, the the way that they were playing they were not as spectacular but they were a lot smarter and a lot more effective so i'm with you they did deserve the win uh in my case i i also think that i mean there was no way anybody was going to take that away from leon if you really think about it they've been the best team for the past year and a half i mean they they were first place and lost in the final against tigres then they were second and lost somehow to Morelia and then the next term and the, the tournament got canceled and then they played this one and no, no four of them they were first or second place so to accumulate the most amount of points and and to not win it it, it doesn't kind of make sense and I think one of the things they learned was after that Puebla game the first leg where they were like wait we just got stumped <clears throat> we just got stumped by Puebla we don't want to for us to happen the same thing happened with Monarcas the previous season uh, you know I think at that moment, Ambriz made a decision and said, you know, we might not play the best, our, our best soccer. Uh, we're not going to play the, our, our, the, the best way we've been playing, but we have to be smart. And I think one of the reasons why Chivas looked like that on the second game was more because of what Leon was doing and less of what Chivas was capable of. I think Ambriz really dominated tactically the game. And the same thing happened with the Pumas game. The, the, uh, there was a point where... It just didn't look nice. And, and I think I, I even commented on Twitter. I don't know if you guys interacted with it. But it was like, I feel like Leon started playing very well. But playing very well doesn't exactly mean that they're going to be spectacular. They were just doing what they were supposed to do. And and yes, then you feel, because you have a team in front of you, who's just closing the space, managing the time, finding, finding whatever the other team is going to give you, it becomes boring. If you're watching as a fan, you're like, hey, I want like some action and it's not going to happen just because Leon was very aware that Chivas had a lot of tools to 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 come and get him. And exactly what Jorge was saying, that play was the first, like, it was the only time in the whole league yeah, that Leon broke down horribly on transition. Like, they turned on that, that breakaway and there was only one defender and he was like, what just happened? So I think they learned from that mistake, and that's why they, they ended up winning it. And, and it was just not as spectacular, but it was just very effective. Yeah, I, I kind of completely forgot about that Antuna play, but now that you mention it, it yeah, the two-on-one. Yeah, <laughs> now it hurts. On his left and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one hurts. I was like, damn, I remember. Yeah, I was like, pass it, pass it. He did it. I don't remember that play. It, yeah, it was a breakaway. Yeah. Two-on-one. I'm going to go back and look Antuna, at it. Antuna, he was running down the right, and he had Calderon to his left. Navarro eventually gets him at the top of the box, but... Yeah. It's also because he takes a bad touch. Because yeah. I yeah. think Antuna, if he takes a better touch and puts him in front of Navarro, he would just take him running. Because there was no he, way he would have catch him speed. But he took a bad touch right before that, and Navarro just waited for him very well. Oh, and, yeah, and it's interesting that, yeah. you bring up that play in the first game because now in the second half, Chivas needs to win the game. Or they need to come out and score a goal. And 
and he puts a more offensive lineup. He only puts as a center mid technically he only puts Jesus Molina in the midfield, uh, and it really hurt Chivas. They, they struggled to play out the back. They struggled to even control the ball at all. Um, I thought not starting Beltran was a mistake. Uh, he could have definitely helped them in the midfield. Would it have helped against that Leon team? I don't probably doubt it. Leon looked like they just wanted it more that game. But yeah, I guess that play, if Chivas scores it, Bucetich probably puts out a different lineup, a more defensive lineup to help control the game a little bit better. But yeah, Leon just, they were just a better team. Yeah, imagine imagine the momentum as well. You know, you just right. knocked out America. You are coming into the first game versus the first, the best team in the league. And then you win at home. And then you go there. I mean, it's just the whole energy through the whole, through the series. Like, uh, it would have been a, a nice story. I, I think it's a much different one. Yeah, I, I wasn't even mad, though, that they... I was disappointed they lost, but I wasn't mad. I kind of felt like they may be overachieved, given everything that they had to go through in the season with uh, team cuts, COVID cases, coaching. And I think a semifinal finish for Houston uh, Teach's first season with Chivas... He's going to get to work with the team in the offseason. I think we have something to be uh, hopeful for. What do you think about that, Corey? So, uh, overachieving is, is a strong word. Like, you know, if you were a team with the reputation and the history that Chivas has, saying that you can't say that you overachieve. You know, like, you're always supposed to go for the title. You're always supposed to be number one. But, you know, when you look at the regular season, it was okay. Just okay. Just like that. Um, it, 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 well, yeah, that, the, the moment say, that like, they start developing in a, in a much better team was through the Liguilla. And, you know, it's great to know that the bigger the challenge, the more they step to the plate. Um, but there, that, that does, does not mean that it should be looked in as, as a success. I don't think as an absolute success. I don't think so. Because Chivas, like America, like Pumas, like Cruz Azul, um, and recently Tigres and Monterrey, they what you expect from them is the championship. Yeah, I one of one of the things that bo- not bothers me, but we, we talk about it. They they say that obviously we're the house of Chivas in the U.S., right? And they say that we pamper them a lot. And I think one of the reasons, like you, it kind of sounds like we you make like we were making excuses for them because of what they had to go, what they had to go through. Um, they did get hit more than other teams. Yes, that's that's true. But uh, technically, every team had to deal with it at some point. Like the COVID was rampant in in, in the league in in many cases, and I I agree with Jorge in the sense of like I wouldn't say necessarily they overachieved. I think they exceed expectations of the fans from the season when it started. But that doesn't mean as a team they're where they want to be. I think again, like I said, they have up and ups and downs. A lot of a lot of ups, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, losing a lot of players for. This grateful situation, I think it's a it's a big toll on the team just because of how many players you lose. But it, I don't think that's an excuse for for, a, for an institution like Chivas that constantly has to be competing and it's the second most winning team in the league. Uh, they have they have to get to the finals. They have to win them. So yes, they can feel the, the difference. Like I wouldn't call it that it was a complete failure because it's not. But it it was just to up. It was to their standard. I think they can do better. They have a lot to build on, uh, but they can be just. They can be. You can be conformist and say, "Oh, it was fine that we're in semifinals." I think you have to aspire to more. Yeah, you can't yeah, say I overachieving. I, I feel. I, yeah, I don't think it's over. I don't think you. To me, it's not overachieving. I think this is where they should be every season, at least the semifinals, mm-hmm. at least if not the finals every season. As a 
as a fan and, and of an institution that's supposed to be one of the biggest clubs. It is. Um, not supposed to be. <laughs> well, but, you know, I mean, we're going by titles, you know, and and uh, I feel like, you know, it's championship or bust every season when you go into the season. Uh, is that being realistic? Probably not, but that's, you know, how I was raised that this team should be producing. Right. But you're right, uh, and you're you're absolutely right. And and the only difference is when the, to me the difference is the way you achieve these things. You're not gonna win every tournament. That's unrealistic. That's true. But the difference before was that the patience has to be when you have a season that it's up to par, mm-hmm. because you might not win the season, but you're like, you know what? I'm gonna keep the coach. I'm gonna keep the players because we didn't have a bust of the season. We just didn't achieve what we wanted. So you gotta keep on building from there. And you might you know adjust here and there. But keep the project because if you think if you go all in thinking it's do it's is winner bust, you technically dismantle the team the next season and that's what doesn't work. So yeah. I think that's where 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 the balance is. Yeah, yeah and, and I think from uh, from if you look at it from the perspective of you you started the season with one coach and then midway you changed to another coach. There was COVID. There was injuries. There was off the off the field stuff. Then you can kind of say, yeah, the team did kind of overachieve a little bit, but um, that I, I, I tend not to go that route, from my perspective, at least. No, nah, I can't. I can't say overachieved because I, I, I was disappointed after the Leon game. <laughs> I can't say overachieved because I think especially the goal. <laughs> yeah, the goal. I think the goal, you want to start the season, all right, let's make the playoffs. And then once you get to the playoffs, you go on a – Game by game basis, and you knocked out America. You can't be you can't be content with just saying, "Well, at least we knocked out America." Because I see some fans say that you can't be content with that. It's you're in the final, you're in the semifinals. Four teams left. You have to go for the championship. It's it's at that point, it's championship or bust. You bring in a coach with championship experience. He has to deliver the title. Um, did he have the time to practice with the team and and, and really put implement a style? No, but I, I I can't I can't make that excuse for him. I. I can't say the team overachieved this season. No, I was disappointed. It was a winnable game, you know. It, yeah, it could have won exactly against exactly. against Leon. It, I mean, on the positives, it does make it you know shine a little bit brighter. The fact that you knocked out America that always feels good. The fact that you took firm decisions in terms of you know undisciplined players that needed to leave, and you were firm about that. That, that was good to see. The fact that you went into the playoffs after two years of not being there, those are great things. But in the big picture, Chivas fans will always want to see them champions, period. And especially because the change of coach, I think it's on Chivas. Like, you can't blame anybody else for that. I think that was a poor planning decision because if they were already thinking of moving from Tena, they should have done it on the offseason. They had a lot of time to think about that and, and make that decision. And then you decide to do it like three, four, five games into it. That's on Chivas. And that's, again, those are the things that you have. One thing is holding accountable the team for their decisions, and the other one is completely like destroying them, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that they were, oh my God, they're horrible, but you know, that, that decision made, had an impact on not having the same performance and maybe not having a better shot at a, at a title. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I use the wrong word with overachieve, but I don't know. I just feel they, like went through, they went through a they lot. They went through a lot, yeah. And like, but, but even, like I, that's morale, what I was saying. During like throughout the season, fan morale was like, Low, low. Like nobody was a fan of Busetich. Um, we had players yeah. that we wanted to play wasn't playing. You know, Beltran is like a big point. 
Like the fans love Beltran, but apparently Bucetich is not a fan of Beltran. Hey, doesn't like how play. he plays, and he's not. And now they're looking to get to loan him out. Maybe it's like these kind of things. <laughs> these are the kind of things like that they had to over uh, get overcome. over. Yeah, overcome. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I think as 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 fans, I think as 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 fans, a lot of the Chivas fans they didn't have like because of everything that went on in the COVID cases and when Tena was starting, they were not happy with Tena. The team did better than they expected. Mm-hmm. That I that's, think that I part think is, is, is realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a question about this is pretty random, but what do you guys think about Chicote Calderon as a wing player, as an attacking player? Because I know he scored the goals against America, and it's um, it's hard to like be negative when you score those goals. <laughs> but like outside of the goals and against Leon as an attacking player, I, I just didn't see like I don't know if it's the movement. I don't know what it was. It just felt like like he was out of position. Mm. Like he didn't know how to really play that position. Yeah. Uh, Carlitos has a lot more educated answer in terms of tactics. <laughs> to me, it's just about performance, and I don't think. He was up to par either when, when it comes down to the whole spectrum of the season right. and the playoffs, you know. But neither was JJ Macias and neither was Vega, really. And neither was, maybe the only one was, to me, Antuna, Mier, uh, Budinho, for sure, mm-hmm. and Sepulveda, yeah. believe it or not. Which, which there were people that, at the beginning of the season, we were very doubtful of. And, and it, they ended up being great. Players, maybe the best ones, Chivas, Carlitos. Yeah, um, with with a Chicote, I think I, I think a Chico, the one thing that Bucetich maybe found out. Um, I mean, I'm sure he he saw it. He he was more of a uh, of a personal problem that he couldn't do it. But I think uh, Chicote and Angulo played the exact same position, and it's on that when when Bucetich tries to play with those three in the middle, it's kind of like a, an inverted triangle. You have Molina, you have. You can put there either Angulo or 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 Chicote and then Vega on on the other on the other side. So you can have Antuna out wide or kind of like bring them in a little bit and have Antuna as a second forward. And the reason for that is that if you really think about it, Chicote is supposed to be a left back. That's right. his that's his position. So he's much better at defending than he's an attacking. When you put a player out wide, and especially on that four. Two 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 or four two three one or or whatever however you want to design it, but once you make him go outside and try to make those runs on the outside, he just he's just not an offensive player because that's not what he's used to. He's a defensive player, so he gives you a lot more coming into that role in the middle where he can recover. It's more of getting the ball from from the middle and distributing, and that's one of the reasons why those goals happen because it's a long range shot, which is a yeah. lot different than when you play as a as an extremo. Right, as an, as an outside as an outside player, and that the same thing happened with Antuna. If you see Antuna when they were playing, and Angulo had the same problem, Antuna had the same problem, and Chicote had the same problem. All throughout the season, you saw them that they put them on those positions, one at, like one at a time, and it was not working. Like Angulo started on the left, and then it kind of like didn't work. Then they put Antuna, and Antuna was was trying. He would make the runs, but because he's more more of a dominant player on his right leg, he will try to cut back. And and he struggled with that too. And sometimes he will run into Macias because Macias has this tendency to move outside of the box. Also, Vega is a player that plays very, very loose. He doesn't have a determined position in, in, within the middle. Like, he can actually go wherever he wants. And that, that made a mess on who was playing on the outside. And I think Chivas hadn't really figured that out. I think when they looked the best was once Macias wasn't there, and they had a true number nine that is just a holding player that will drag the, the, the play away, away from you. 
then Antuna was able to take that space. And and, Ch- and it, whether Chicote or Angulo, whoever was there, was helping a lot, just being a defensive player with a lot of speed that can go out on the front. And I think that's where Chivas exceeded there. But that was one of the mistakes he, they had on the on the last game. Once they put Chicote outside, well, you kind of lost him there. And yeah. and and you couldn't cover Navarro. And Navarro got will we'll get you on that play. So you know what? And I thought Vega see, gave me, Navarro to... gave that left side. Hold on. I thought Vega gave that right side of Leon problems when he came in in the second half in the first game. So I thought the obvious choice was to put Vega on the left wing again, but he tried it with uh with Antuna and just, I mean with Calderon and it just didn't work. Yeah, definitely. What I, I was going to say... Go ahead. No, no. I'll say definitely. You're, no, you're right. what I was going to say was, it, it, to me, it, it felt a lot like that was the tactic from Busetich was play these guys in the middle, those these three guys with speed, and let them interchange positions freely. But it mm-hmm. just wasn't working. Because, I mean, we've seen it, uh, I think it was... Um, oh, we did it earlier in the season. Yeah, and I think, like, other coaches have tried it. Like, I think, like, Tata Martino... Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Tata Martino has tried it uh, with Lozano, Tecatito, and and um, Jimenez. Jimenez, where they kind of they, he lets he, he lets Tecatito and Lozano kind of switch sides uh, freely throughout throughout the game. Um, I think in the past they also tried it with Bela Charito and and uh, and Jimenez, where you know they just play up the three up top, and you guys could just play freely amongst each other. So that's what, that's what I it felt like what the teach was doing uh, throughout the season. But he was trying to find a combination that worked and it, it just it just never really worked. Um, and I also felt like because of the dynamic of the speed that the team had, the team played better on counterattacks as opposed to uh, possession-based where they were taking it to the other team. So, like for example, in the Leon game, once Leon scored the goal and they were sitting back, that felt like the team struggled in in those instances. Versus versus America, where America was kind of taking it to them, and on those counterattacks is when they were, you know, catching them and scoring on them. Yeah, it, it, it that's exactly what happened. But I don't think it was by it was by design by Nakombris. You know, like we saw from the moment that the Riguilla started that Leon was not going to be letting people. Around in terms of what game they were going to be playing, right? Like they took control, time management, and, and game management was the number one priority for Nacho Ambriz, and I think that's what we saw um, on the second game, on the away game for Chivas. Uh, hence the importance of what it would have meant for for Antuna to make that pass on Calderon and score the second goal, because then Busetich would have been able to to play the way he likes to play, which is. You know, maybe not controlling the ball at all times, but having a solid structure and not touching that midfield that was so effective uh, with Beltran. To me, the, the, the best combo was Beltran and, and Molina in the, in the midfield. And that would have been a great way to actually control not only the midfield, but, but be solid in the back too. I I like Beltran a lot as a player. I don't think he's ready. I think when, you know, against America and against, I think he played a little bit against Leon. He, he he did struggle a little bit once he got players with a lot more experience and like their timing was better because controlling. One of the things that Chivas did very well in the first game against Leon was able to control, to control, sorry, control <laughs> Chapo Montes, Mena, and and the the only other player that they couldn't they couldn't handle and is because they didn't prepare for was Joel Campbell. Joel Campbell was such a change and, and he made such a difference because. Nobody was begging him to play. 
if, if el, avión, el avión Ramírez wouldn't have got injured, he would have not played. And I think that actually messed up a little bit on how they played. But the big, the biggest synergy that, that Leon has between Montes Mena and Navarro coming from the back, I think Chivas handled it very well. But they were too worried about it on the first half. Once Leon scores, with Navarro coming into that middle and, and, and making the confusion after a play from, from, from Jared Campbell, after that happens, and Leon sits back a little bit, and I think Bucetich did very well on going in the attack. But then on the second game, he does the same. He goes, well, I'm on a one-on-one. I'm going to wait and try to counter. And that that just didn't fly because once Leon figured out, you know, they already watched the first game. They already know what she was going to do. So at that point, we're like, okay, so how can we destroy the counterattack? So we're going to do this. And I think that's that was going to happen with Leon regardless because I think the same thing happened to Pumas. You will see Pumas taking two, three touches, and they will score and all of a sudden, with Leon, they couldn't. And even on a one-on-one, it was the same thing. Like, even if even if they had this, the, the ideal scenario with all their players healthy, if Conejito had been there, Vega had been an outstanding level, if Macias had been scoring goals, I think it would have been the same because Leon was just so solid as as a unit, especially on, on the back and the, in the midfield because El Chapo Montes controlled the tempo of every game he played in. I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. It's just, you know, you think about it because you're like, there's this space that that I saw, and the game happened a certain way, but not necessarily would have you know it would have gone how you expected. All right. Um, <laughs> well, we can move on to I guess uh, just a re- a brief recap of what everything that Chivas went through, the ups and downs of the season. Um, I don't know which points you guys definitely want to talk about. I know we kind of touched on um, Luis Fernando Tena getting fired and Bucetich coming in. The Chivas had a bunch of COVID cases. Uh, I know Ronaldo Cisneros, Beltran, Oribe, Antuna, Chelo Saldivar, Conejito, and then even Luis Fernando Tena at one point had COVID. I know there were long-term effects for Beltran with COVID. And then you also had the Antuna controversy where Chivas put out a video that he was asymptomatic. And then the next, in like the next hour, his vlog came out and he looked pretty sick while uh, he had covid Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, and then they had to do like a whole cleanup of the, of that. Uh, Bisutich eventually won his uh, debut against Atlético San Luis. Chivas ends in seventh place under Bisutich. Chivas had seven wins, three losses, and four draws. Um, pretty good season, I guess. Once he came in, we had the Antuna and the Vega Instagram party. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, both. Got suspended, I believe, for two games. Yep. Right. Yep. They got suspended with the, with, for two with games tam- with a tamarind with a tamarind bucket. Yeah, the tamarind. I don't know who drinks <laughs> that. I don't know what. These it's kids. actually pretty good. Is it? <laughs> I, I I got it for research purposes. <laughs> research purposes. <laughs> um. Yeah. Or the funny. <laughs> the funny thing is that they would both go on to have really good seasons for Chivas. Um. Yeah. Vega had. Four assists, two goals. Antuna had four goals and five assists. Gudinho emerges as Chivas' starter after Tonya Rodriguez makes two costly mistakes. I know one was against Toluca. The one that got him benched permanently is slipping my mind. Is it Querétaro? I think we lost at home to Querétaro. Yep. Mm-hmm. You didn't lose, right? And they tied. They tied, I think. Okay, they tied. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the Villalpando situation off the field. He was cut from the team, and uh, Chopis Lopez, Gaito Vasquez, Alexis Peña were separated from the team and listed as transferable. Gaito has actually been transferred to Toluca already. 
And then the end of the season, the Repechaje win over Nakaxa. They knock out America in the quarterfinals, and then they lose to Leon in the semifinals. Amazon is licking their chops. <laughs> With yeah. that document. Amazon, the all or nothing series is going to be crazy. <laughs> when you look at it like that, it's such a roller coaster, right? It's, I mean, going back into the overachieving, we know that for, for a team like Chivas and, and how big it is in the history, only a championship is is expected from them, but you see all these factors that you mentioned, and and you can't see you can make an argument for them to actually feel good, and and for the fans to be hopeful that the next one is going to be a, a better season. Having said that, at the time the Luis Fernando Tena thing seemed a little bit rushed, but you know looking back, I believe it was the right call. You know, like they pulled the trigger, it worked for them. Uh, Busetich, even if he's not bringing in. A completely different setup and completely set of different set of tactics for Chivas. It was a little bit more effective, and and they really did a good job uh, in the liguilla. Um, again, knocking out America is always a positive note for your season. Um, the Vega and the Antuna, you know, um, resurfaced, if you may. I think it was expected. It has to do a lot also with talent, right? Like I, I feel that. When we mentioned about the other players that left the team, none of those had the talent that Antuna and Vega showed this season. So in that sense, aside from, you know, the fact that it was a completely different story and for VM Pando, it's even a criminal part that, that I don't want to touch on. But, you know, the they got the memo and they reacted on time. Um, Goudinho was a good call, I feel, from Busetich. Like his experience, he, he saw he, he was having a, a better you know, season, and, and he trusted him. I think he delivered. Um, I, I don't know what else I'm missing, but in, in general terms, I think that the, the the team really came, as we say in Spanish, the menos a mas, right? They, they, they started small, and they start, they grew as the season, you know, developed. Yeah, for me, for me, I think, besides the, the roller coaster, one, I actually uh, commend Chivas for for making the decision of separating the players from the club like that that that, ha- that can't be easy it's not easy because the players are literally the assets of your business and and you can and just taking it out like it, it takes a big toll on on everybody um but it was the right call and i think it, it, it set a good precedent in that sense and then with everything everything else with with the with the covid cases the parties i just I, I struggle with the parties just because I live on that system. I mean, I, I I didn't play too long, but I was in third division, and and when you're when you're on the development side, you you're used to that. Like your life is the game, so you're used to going to practice. You wake up early, you break at the crack of dawn to get on a bus and travel six hours to go play a game. Like that's part of your life. And to me, it's, uh, I I still can't wrap my mind around. How in Mexico, because or in Latin America, in in, in, in actually these players, they, they decide that it's like, oh, it's a Wednesday night, I'm just gonna go out. Like, it, I I don't know when that breaks, where because you have to have the, you already developed the discipline. If it was from one day to another, because you're like a superstar like Ronaldinho who probably didn't practice one day in his life, I understand. But when you're a player that has to come up for the ranks and you're used to the discipline to just suddenly break it, I never really understand it. But Besides that, the fact that they were able to recover 
from that for that they were able to put them into play and they, and they had a really good season i think speaks volumes for the commitment of both uh vega and, and antuna and also the work that Busetich has to kind of like reel them in and say like listen this is what i need from you um and then on Buse, I just think they, they have to keep this scheme they have. They need to have most of their players come back. We'll see, uh, obviously, there's always contractual issues. I do think Beltran is going to be gonna be sent somewhere. I don't know if uh, Andres Iniestra from Pumas is going to end up coming, which I think will be a good addition because somebody with, with experience, and obviously, you saw he already played a final, and he did very well with Pumas. But uh, you're still lending a player that has a lot of talent that you could develop, but it apparently it's not up to speed. But also, we criticize Busetich a lot for it because we like him. I, I think we've seen the talent that he has, but you don't you don't work with him every day. Like you don't see how he reacts. You don't. You, there's a lot of moving pieces when you choose a player that can be there. And by no means I'm saying that Busetich is right, but again, you always need to give him the benefit of, of the doubt unless he completely loses a player. And... And yeah, I mean, again, making it to the semis, I think it was a, it's a good thing. Winning against America was a great thing. But the most important part was that Chivas was able to come back to Liga after six seasons, I think that, or six tournaments. I think that was the, the the breaking point of making, you know what, we're making the right the right decisions and let's move on from here. Do you feel that it speaks about Busetich that he can't make Fernando Beltran work under his system when? This is a player that's even being considered for the first team national team. Or, you know, he's being called up by Tata Martino, but he's not even playing on his team. So, it, it, is it, it, there, there, there is some sort of disconnect there between the coach and the player. Yeah. We, we've had the, this discussion, Carlos and I, offline, and because, you know, all the rumors on social media about, him not liking him as a person, that there may be like a personal grudge between them, um, that he was talented enough, as you mentioned, to, to make the national team, but not the Chivas starting 11. Um, we think, I don't know, Carlitos, you'll be able to complement this answer, but it was more on the side that he did not fit the system as much as, as, as he wanted um, to for him to deliver on more of defensive, um, you, you know, player somebody that controls the midfield, somebody that can hold the ball but not lose position, someone who's not an offensive-minded player that will step out of your area and the zone that you're supposed to control. Um, and, and Busetich is the kind of coach that is more traditional in that sense. So I don't think it really is the talent or, or the lack of talent from, from him. It's more about the system or the tactic that uh, Busetich was trying to implement where Beltran does not follow really that kind of play. Yeah, I I want to see. I I'm really haven't figured out uh, what Beltran is really where what he exceeds at. And by what I mean is that he obviously has a lot of talent. He holds the ball very well, but his distribution is not that offensive. So what happens when you play on that system where Rusetich already has a player who holds the middle and gives an easy pass, which is Molina, the player that is next to him and the other one that is the two the two that play on that on that triangle. They both have to be able to come and go. And when you distribute the ball, you have to be able to put those balls in between the lines. You have to be able to, to break the defensive line so you can feed the ball to your, to your players, to your, to, your, to your forwards. And I don't think that he has that. One of the reasons why they usually play Dieter over him was that Villalpando was very, very prone to putting the ball over the defender's head to try to find a forward. 
sometimes it wouldn't work and, and it seemed like a wasted pass, but at least he was trying to do that. And I think that's where Busetich kind of struggled with, with him a little bit. He was putting him on that role and expecting him with his technique to be able to do that, to find those gaps behind the defense and, and be able to break through those, those blocks. And I don't think he has that. I don't think he has been able to develop it. I'm not saying he's never going to have it, um, but he just doesn't have it right now. So for you to start on the first division team and, and be assigned that role and not kind of go with it, it's, it's what happens. He also doesn't dribble that much. He doesn't shoot from mid-range. Like, there's a lot of things that if you, if you analyze the, the games little by little, be, be, besides the fact that he's a, a technical and skillful player, you realize that he doesn't do that. And, and it's not because he's not designed like that. It's just that he's not that kind of player. So I think he needs to he he will need to find he will need to find a place where where he can where he can bloom where his responsibilities maybe a little different maybe he could be a more of an actual defensive mid and 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 then go from there but I think I agree with Jorge in that sense I think that because of the role he was playing in Chivas he was not executing it how it's supposed to be What would you guys say was the biggest moment of the season broadcast wise for you guys <laughs> um, I think a Chicotazo Chicotazo number one oh. <laughs> you know yeah. all that shot from, from mid range we were not expecting it it was actually uh, America was playing a lot better than Chivas at that moment and, and probably the, the last 10 minutes before that and it was out of the blue and uh, you know I, I think we even shared that little clip Amongst us, it was. You played in Spanish. Exciting, and <laughs> we switched from from Spanish to English to Spanish on the celebration for that goal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for us, it for us personally, calling a, a classico. I mean, I don't know how many classicos this Jorge called, but uh, it's the first time I got to do a, a, a classico, the Mexico, at least on, on air. So to me, that that was already exciting, and and the fact that. How the game happened, how the goal happened. Uh, obviously, Chivas is on the air, so having Chivas win it, and then obviously giving us, you know, the chance to to keep on, on moving forward and, and keep on doing more. I, I think it, it made a, a big deal, and it's also, I think it was a big deal because it was the first game we actually had on on both. No, I think it was the second one, right? But it was like it, it, to me, it was the most important game to have on 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 NBC Live. Uh, I think that was that was a big a big moment for for us as, as career wise and and for Mexican soccer in general. So so yeah, definitely the first Chico Tesla has to be the the number one. <laughs> yeah, like I like the call from Jorge. Um, me and Luis talked about it. Like that's exactly how I watch soccer at bars. Like I'll be watching an Arsenal <laughs> game and I know where they score a golazo. I'm like golazo, and like people kind of just look at me like, what what did you say? Like, <laughs> and then like sometimes I remember like. If there's a like a player open, I'll be like, abra, 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 abra. And like that. Obviously, like go play for the wing, but I'm watch. I watch the game in like English and Spanish, so like I definitely felt the the Liga MX and G community uh, represented on that goal. <laughs> <laughs> that was also part of you know that the, the leverage that we got from from our bosses being able to um, be who we are. You know, like it's. A, one of the parts that you really need to emphasize what's happening, it's only 15 minutes more into the game. Every single play from that point on is crucial. And all of a sudden, this <laughs> this shot comes out of nowhere. And it's fine. You can call it the way you feel it. And and, and that was a great experience. Um, all right, next question. All right, so Jorge, I think you mentioned the J.J. Macias hasn't been clicking all season. Do you, do you guys think Bucetich is going to find a way to make 
JG must he has fit his system or will he be going down a similar path to Fernando Beltran where Busetich might have to find somewhere else to to send Macias and let him figure it out himself. Gee, I, I hope not. I, I hope he's able to bring the best out of him. Um, I do see a little bit of a, you know, a clash in between a traditional coach and a modern player. I mean, Busetich is the kind of coach that will not necessarily push you to the limit um, on practice that will not be running your opta numbers, how many you know miles you've been running through the game and how many uh, accurate passes and all that. Like Stats-wise, it's probably not going to be the coach that looks at that into detail, but he will place you in the right position where you can achieve what you are supposed to achieve for the team. Um, and, and on the other side, I think that Macias is, is a modern player. Like He knows about fitness, about performance, about how fast he's supposed to be running, how many miles he's probably covering in the in the game and a very cerebral guy very dedicated person um i think that he needs to loosen up a little bit more gets gets you know comfortable with coming down but also going into the box um i don't think he necessarily have trusted the process for you know the process that Busetich teach has, has been putting in place for him but the moment he does he's going to start shining so to answer your question I think Busetich will be able to bring the best out of Macias. I do. Uh, to me, the biggest question is, and I, I've never, I've never been near Busetich in a in a practice session or or, or a locker room to be able to, to tell you a, a real answer. But I think the biggest difference that you can say you can see what Nacho Ambriz did with Macias and what happened here. And I think one of the biggest differences is that most traditional coaches in in Liga MX will want you to play in their system. They'll come, they'll bring a system, they they tell you how it's played and you have to adapt to what they're telling you. Ambris is not like that. Ambris says, this is a player that I have. How can I make this player look better? Or how can I, with his tools, make it fit on, on this scheme? And sometimes design the scheme around it. And I think that's where, where somehow Macias wasn't clicking. And the reason why Macias wasn't clicking there compared to, to, to Leon, for example, it's the difference between how Alexis Vega attacks the box and how Chapo Montes attacks the box. Chapo Montes doesn't try to go inside. Chapo Montes knows he's a facilitator. He knows he dictates the tempo and, and distributes. Vega, not Vega is more of an attacking player. He has more of a, if you remember him when he played in Toluca, he has more a tendency of scoring. So there are some times that you will see him running to each other. Same thing happens with Antuna. Antuna is not really a player that is going to go all the way down and send across. The times that he does that, it's really good. If you really think about it, that's how the goal... The And I don't remember if it was him or Conejito, but there was a, a given goal on, on the play with Saldivar on, against Monterrey where Saldivar scores that header that it's a play that they go all the way down and they send across. And Chivas didn't do a lot of that and Macias wasn't really finishing those plays. And maybe the crosses sometimes were not on, on point. And I, that was one of the biggest differences with, with him scoring a lot of goals in León. So he can bloom, definitely. I think he was he had a lot of pressure this season. I, I think there was a lot of involvement between shooting the all or nothing thing and then knowing that he was going to go to Celta de Vigo, which I, I mean, it's supposed to be a don't deal. We don't know if that's going to happen. And, and all those things got in, in, into his mind a, a little bit and, and he, was able, like, he wasn't able to really like flourish after that. Now you said he's going to Celta de Vigo or is that, wouldn't that be what after this season or this off season, if it happens? Uh, I mean, the, the, first, the first report and I, I think maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm kidding. Maybe it was Real Sociedad, and I'm and I'm mistaken. I think it was Sociedad. Yeah, it was Real Sociedad. Thought, yeah. 
no, it is Real Sociedad. Sorry. Um, when he when he was supposed to go to Real Sociedad, they supposed it was supposed to be a done deal, and and here on the transfer market from January he will be leaving. So we'll see if that still happens. That still has to obviously the the window hasn't opened, so we'll see what happens. But you know, I if that's if that's the case, even if he ends up ends up not going, or he ends up going all the way in the summer, or he ends up like he ends up staying. The fact that you have to deal with that and that's in your mind and somebody who like him who wants to go and wants to play in Europe, I it definitely it definitely takes a toll on your on your performance. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then we have the Chivas off season. We've seen reports that uh Chivas is not looking to bring anybody, or maybe they can't afford to bring anybody into the team. Um what do you what do you guys think? Do you think Chivas needs to sign a couple of players this off season or or would they be okay not bringing anybody in? Ooh, I mean, they, they spent so much last season that um, I'm not entirely sure how the finances are going to be. I know that getting rid of some of the players that are no longer with the team, especially Trophies, which, if I'm not mistaken, was the second best paid in the roster, which is kind of crazy. Um, so they, they will be able to get some, some cash flow in. But in terms of how well the team performed and how much they spent just half a year ago uh, i don't foresee any like major signings like like alito was, was saying iniestra would be a good addition uh but you also run into the same uh, dilemma uh, season after season who will be selling a mexican player to chivas and how expensive that the player will become and it, let's be honest nobody in mexico has money right now to spend maybe tigres they have some or or, or monterrey but in general uh Soccer worldwide has taken a, a big a big hit with COVID. You're gonna see Pumas is gonna dismantle completely. If if there's at least four or five players who leave from Pumas, we're gonna be surprised because that's that's the main that's the main priority. America, who's usually a team that makes a lot of signings, not gonna have any signings. Even even if they look horrible today against against Atlanta United, there's no way they're gonna bring anybody in. So translating that to Chivas, I think they I think they have enough. Obviously, there's always places where you can, you can, you know, reinforce the the position and, and make it make it stronger. Or sometimes have a, a a sub that will play that position well. But I don't think they need to. I mean, you saw the players that came up from Tapatio and in, in, in play uh, Lalo Lalo Torres. What's his last name? Uh, yeah, Lalo Torres. Lalo Torres. I think he had an amazing game against León. I mean, he was very quiet because he was playing defensive what? mid. His stats I, were terrible. But that, that's not the point. Trying. But that's, that's not the point. Well, he was what are holding, you judging? The, the thing is that he was able to hold, he was able to, to disconnect um, Chapo Montes, and that was his role. The role to distribute and do the, the rest was for Molina. And I think he had a good game in the sense that he was just cut, he was cutting that and helping in the defense. There was a couple of clearances that he was the one that ended up doing the clearance. And again, you're talking a 19-year-old player. So yes, he was not going to look fantastic. Because no, that's what I'm saying. Things. No, I do. I did give him the benefit. of the, When we talked about it on the podcast, like he is a young player, so I, I, I could tell he was a little nervous on the ball. Yeah, that that definitely that that yeah, definitely yeah. gonna happen. But I'm saying if he was able to to not make make mistakes, because that's where that's to me that's the biggest that's the thing. One thing is looking nervous, and one's like he gave away plays that end up in goals or that end up in in in, in you know difficult situations. And I don't think he did that. And even on the other games, like he had to be he had to play. He look okay. So if you can bring some of those players from your U20, from your Tapatio team, I mean, you have you have enough to survive these. these because remember, like again, the the seasons in Mexico they're divided in two, but technically it's one season, right? This is the 2020-2021 season. So 
you at least need to make it to the summer. And then in the summer, hopefully with the vaccine and everything, you can reassess where you are financially and then make moves from there. Yeah, I think I, th- I think we've always said too that the roster the roster's there. It's just it's just a matter of the coach being able to to make the pieces work. So if if they don't bring anybody in, I won't be like uh, that upset if they don't. I would like for them to bring at least one player in, but I think the I think the pieces are there. It to me it just feels like yes, the team made strides, but in the cases of Beltran, trophies, um, this was the isn't isn't maximizing the talent that's on the roster, or he. He wants the players to fit his. He wants the players to fit his system versus putting the players in positions to maximize their strengths. Uh, we're seeing it with Chicote Calderon, with Angulo, um, even with Tiba uh, Sepulveda. I feel like he's not putting them in positions where they should be succeeding more so trying to make them fit what he wants his system to be. And that doesn't always work all the time, depending on the talent that you have. So you I mean, we're seeing guys now being talked about being loaned out. You're seeing the trophies being loaned, uh, sold. Beltran is now being talked about being loaned out. Even, even Macias struggling uh, with the team. So, I mean, it's going to be, if Chivas doesn't start off as strong as they finished, then the thing that I think the talk is going to be, you know, well, this, this, the lineup of this team is relatively strong. Where is the disconnect? And that's where I feel like Usadich might be on the hot seat if the team doesn't start off strong next season. Hey, the fans will turn on him quickly. <laughs> now, you know how Chivas fans are. <laughs> I say that, that that sounds normal though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, think... but it brings up but an interesting point that Rigo brought up is and that you guys have brought up together is like if they don't bring any signings in and there's these players that he does that he doesn't believe fit his system, then should he adjust to what their strengths are? Or she should he be hard headed and just know I wanna play this way. If you guys don't fit, then you guys don't fit. But if he doesn't bring any signings in that do fit his style, <laughs> then what should he do? I think you're asking us why he should guard. What he should do or what he's going to do? Because I think that's different. There's a whole different answer right there. And I, yeah. I think that's the problem with the with with the old guard of of, of coaches. Somebody like was a teacher who's been in the league for however many years, and he's won however many championships. Uh, you know, you just feel like it's your way or the highway, right? Like, so he's he's definitely not going to go and alter his his way of of playing the, the, of how the team plays because he's got one or two you know uber talented guys that aren't fitting the system mm-hmm. he's gonna find guys that you know fit his system and make the system work yeah the, pro- the, pro- really, the problem really. is the problem is you have short seasons so if things don't work then like you're this is a, it's a result oriented league so you want you you want quick results so getting all those things to come together is difficult. It it, it sure is. I I, I don't think Busetich is going to change his ways. Um, he's going to. I mean, they say you can teach uh, an old dog new tricks, right? And that's exactly it. And especially when he's been winning so much, uh, the the Midas touch that everybody talks about. It he he truly believes that he has it. 
I actually think he does. Um, and the system that he will maintain, it's going to be up to the player to either adjust to it or be on the bench, pretty much. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, given... All right, so given everything we've talked about, what overall uh, grade would you guys um, give this Chivas season? I guess from like A to F. Um, we'll use A to F as the like, grading system. F. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe maybe we should go first. Um, Luis, you want to go first? Um, sure. I'll grade them. I'll grade them a. I don't want to be too harsh. A D, C. See, no, nah, man, it's because I'm upset. I, I like the, the players that we have. I like Antuna. I like Angulo. I like Macias. I like Vega. I like Beltran. Uh, I like the defense. Uh, I was cool with Godinho. And it's like, so I'm upset that I'm still upset that we lost to Leon. <laughs> Ask somebody else because I'm getting mad. <laughs> Rigo. <laughs> uh, I think just based on everything on the roller coaster that this season has been, mm-hmm. I would, I would grade them a B because we where we got to everything that, that's been going on we fired a coach uh, we lost players uh, because of off the field stuff there was the COVID stuff um, I, I would probably grade it overall a, a B uh, yeah I I go with the same as Rigo a B for Chivas I think before the season started a lot of the talk from Palais and Amaury was you know they had short term and long term goals the short-term goal was make Leguilla, and that was completed. Now, the long-term goal is obviously the championship. So I think a B is a fair grade for the season that Chivas had. Uh, I think um, I'm going to go with you. If you were to make the cut at the end of the regular season, I would give them a C. Uh, because they, as we said, and, and we ran numbers, they weren't as exciting. But yeah, you know, they, they haven't been in the, in the playoffs in two years and, you know, the, the new players really ended up delivering at the end during the Liguilla, you know, especially the ones that were super expensive for the teams in terms of Chicotazo and in terms of Angulo. Um, they they really did not have a good season until the end. So if we were to separate it, break it down, I would say regular season is C, but just winning against the Caxa, which was not an easy game, winning uh, and knocking out America, um, and making it very competitive versus Leon, which ended up winning the championship. That all together, even if it's just three or four games, will really round it up for a B. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the B, but I think overall in the tournament they they have achieved some things that you might overlook, like they beat Tigres, they beat Monterrey. Those are teams that usually didn't beat, and they to me the, losing against Cruz Azul in America kind of brings them down there, but. At the end of the day, Liguillas matters. You could have, you could be the eighth, tenth, twelfth team now, and it doesn't matter if you end up winning. And the reason why I wouldn't brought them under that is just because they end up losing against the win, the team that actually eventually won the title, and it was that much more dominant. It wasn't that, it wasn't that terrible. Uh, you know, you were com- you were competitive against the team that deserved the championship. Because have you lost against the team that got knocked out after? Then that's a different story. But and, and not giving a good face, but you had a really good first game. Um, the second game, you were dominated, but so that team dominated everybody. So you can't really, you know, hold them accountable for that. So I will, I will hold them on a, on a B too. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Luis, what grade? What grade would you guys give the English broadcast 
uh, Chivas <laughs> in first season. <laughs> I honestly will give it a B plus. Uh, I think it's a work in progress. Uh, again, I'm, I'm excited that I get to do it. Uh, I'm still learning. Obviously, there, there's these kinks that we, Jorge and I, are still have to do. And, and it's hard because, again, this is the most I've seen him since we started calling games. I don't see his face. Like, I have no idea what's going on. If he's choking or something, I can't help him, which is usually that interaction that you have when you're calling games. And I think that being able to to kind of make it look like we know what we're doing when we're not even in the same room, not even in the same state, almost not even in the same country, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, puts, puts it up there in, in that sense. No, Man. I mean, I, I, I think you guys have good <laughs> chemistry. You can't even tell. You can't even tell that you're not in the same room, uh, which I, you know, that's it's that's difficult. I mean, we we do this podcast. We're not in the same room. Uh, it took a it took a while for us to develop that chemistry of of, of you know feeding off each other. So I, I completely understand it, and and I get it that you know like that it's it's very commendable that you got we watch the game, and I can't tell that you guys aren't even in the same time zone. I think it helped the fact that we knew each other very well before and that we, we were friends. We knew people in the industry and we've, you know, exchanged <laughs> memorable times. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, Jorge, Jorge, I just want to say, you said a couple of times you guys were friends. I have not heard that from Carlos yet. He has not confirmed. He has not confirmed. Like a, it was a one-sided relationship. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't. Uh, hell, uh, not even our bosses knew. I've known Jorge for ten years, twelve years now. Um, and I mean, when I met him, I was in college. So you know, sometimes it was Friday, Saturday night in Miami, and I was like, "George, what are you doing?" So we, <laughs> we go this this place, and we'll end up going somewhere. And you know, Hammer and vodka. Yeah, till six in the morning. Like, but but it does help. Because again, like that's why we're able to, you know, to trust in each other and have a confidence and, and joke around and say things to each other and not know that, you know, know exactly who the person is. And, and I think that, that that that's great for us. I cannot confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tamarin Boca didn't exist, so we're safe with that. Um, to, to, Four locals. To, to, to <laughs> oh man. And, commentary. I I mean, you guys are the better judges for that, but um. I feel that our, our season went like Chivas season. It, it started rough. It was a little bit of, you know, a learning curve. The games weren't as exciting. The team wasn't performing as good. So, you know, the eyeballs and the pressure wasn't not as much on us. And as they started doing better, and we, we also transitioned into MSNBC, now NBCSN <laughs> uh, live and, and not a rebroadcast, um, then, you know, the, we started feeling the pressure, but we also started feeling all the support from from people like you guys that follow the sport and, and that like to see it in English and a bunch of other uh, people that starting up showing up in, in our timelines, uh, just telling us, hey, you guys are doing a good job. This is great. This is what we were hoping for a long, long time. So I think it, it went in crescendo uh, for us as well, just like just like for the team. Uh, Luis Rigo, you guys have anything else before we wrap up? No, uh, I mean, I've talked a lot, but no. Uh, just thank, thank you guys for <laughs> no, coming on. We, we we appreciate everything you guys uh, have are doing for the culture and helping push you know Liga MX English content forward in, in the right direction. So we appreciate you guys for that, and thank you for coming on.
No, absolutely. I mean, again, I, I had a lot of fun the last time I was here and, and, and super excited because, again, we're going to be there next season. That's already confirmed. And, and, and like I said it before, I mean, we're supposed to be with Chivas uh, as a company, as, as Telemundo, uh, for, for the long run. So, you know, I, I still don't have any details on how things are going to grow or, or how the partnership uh, it's gonna, is going to change. But you even saw it because you cover it. Uh, you even saw it. We, we started having more of the of the women's team games. Uh, we're live streaming the U20s and the U17s. So if, if you're an avid Chivas fan and, and you want the content, it is there. And, and we we're trying to build a, a, a sturdy relationship with them. We have a really close relationship with the Chivas uh, English, uh, now social media people, which is a new team that it's also trying to get the grasps. And, and they're looking at what you guys are doing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's growing and, and, and it's exciting. Absolutely. I, I mean, we said it in the show, we, we became a thing. All, all of a sudden, we realized how many of us share this love for not only Chivas, but Liga MX, for all the players, for what's happening there. Um, and it's, it's a pleasure to see how this becomes even more, um, you know, mainstream, how, how much we're, we're being, we've been able to break through Um, what has been, you know, kind of quiet for a little while. And uh, obviously we appreciate the, this opportunity. And I, I was feeling a little bit FOMO when, when Carlitos was in the show and I was like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one doing the play-by-play. -play. I'm the one who calls the goals. You only say <laughs> what happened after. Clearly, as you see, this, this has been the whole time a one-sided relationship. <laughs> uh, no, but thank you guys for coming on. Uh, I, and I think this season, maybe we can do more of the IG lives uh, preview before the games like, like me and Carlos did uh, this season. Uh, I think that, that'll be good. And we'll have you guys on regularly. As, as, as Jorge, he, he just said that he wants to be more. more <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got fly, we got, us uh... to, fly us to the studio in, in, in Miami and we could all <laughs> sit in the studio together once, the vac once we all get the vaccine. And, I was gonna uh, say, it's like, man, I can't even be able to fly to see my parents. Tamarind <laughs> vodka in Florida, guys. <laughs> One day, they don't lose hope, though. <laughs> okay, right. stop saying the name of the vodka until we get a sponsorship, okay? Hey, we didn't, we didn't say no brands. We just said Tamarind vodka. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I, I don't drink vodka. I don't know. <laughs> Don Julio, if you're hearing, I'm an avid drinker, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So once again, Carlos Jorge, thank you for coming on the pod. This has been another edition of the Chivas del Norte podcast. Um, if we're not back before the end of the year, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. 2020 was a rough year, but we made it. And we'll see you in 2021. We're out.